0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 171. I'm your host, as always, Nicholas Denotic. Hope you all enjoyed week three of the NFL season as we push into the fall season, football season, or the bulk of it, rather, Um, and as we push into the month of October, coming up on the end of the first month of the NFL season. And we had some spicy games. We'll get to the upsets in a second here. We'll touch on the legendary beatdown that the Miami Dolphins slapped on the Sean Payton-led Denver Broncos. But you know how it goes around here. We're going to keep it structured. We'll go straight in to my standout seven. And let's start right where we were just talking, right? Number one, bigger story, let's talk some upsets. Baltimore's loss to the Colts, the Cowboys loss to the Cardinals, or, special mention, the Jaguars loss to the Houston Texans. I say the Jaguars are a special mention because I tend to think of these three teams, they are in the better situation, right? Dallas fighting an uphill battle to win a division with Philly in it, who just won their conference. Baltimore in a division with what should be a, you know, powerhouse in Cincinnati, along with a great defense in Pittsburgh, a team that I thought would be really good in Cleveland, which, you know, minus Nick Chubb, it's a little iffy, but they're still pretty good. Jacksonville, on the other hand, Tennessee, I'm not super high on. Houston, come on now. The Colts, come on now. Though, let's get started with those very Colts winning the Battle of Baltimore on the road with Gardner Minshew at the helm. This was a very odd game to watch, if I'm being completely honest. Let's pick this one up. Late-ish fourth quarter. 17-16 Baltimore. This game is in Baltimore. Tremendous field position. Not. Indy winds up with the ball at their two-yard line, right? We get an incomplete pass, a penalty... And then they're at the one. They wind up with a an Orlovsky, as it was, it was deemed, right? Running out of the back of the end zone or touching the back of the uh, end zone as you're trying to scramble. 1916 Baltimore, and Baltimore is getting the ball back. You take a look at the clock. We are looking at 2.05, the time of the safety. Lo and behold, somehow... The Indianapolis Colts wind up with the ball back with a minute 40 to play. Minute 41, excuse me. Minshew did what Minshew does. And I I mentioned this briefly. I didn't go so far as to pick the Colts. If Richardson was playing, maybe I would have baited myself into it. But Gardner Minshew, he has almost that, like, uncanny ability to find weird ways to keep his team in it and win games. I'm not going so far as to say he's Tim Tebow-ish, right? Where it's all motivation on the sideline and running the football. Like, no, Gardner Minshew, even when he was a starter, and I mentioned this before way back, if you've been listening for a few years, I was big on the Gardner Minshew bandwagon. I mean, this guy comes in as a rookie, goes 21 touchdowns to 6 picks, 6-6 and record. The next year, 16 touchdowns to 5 picks, and his completion percentage goes up. What happens? They ship him out of there to be a backup in Philly. Limited reps in Philly. 68% completion percentage, 4 touchdowns, 1 pick the first year. The second year, okay, you know, 58%, 3 touchdowns, 3 picks. If you're the New York Jets, you're telling me this isn't better than what you're running out there in Zach Wilson? Didn't mean for this to turn into a Gardner-Minshew- uh, soapbox rant, right? But come on, this is what the guy does. They go down the field. They tie the game, 53 seconds to go. What happens? Well, Baltimore winds up with a shot to win this game from 61, and all the broadcast was talking about was how Justin Tucker's automatic. Justin Tucker's automatic. You just got to get it. Su- got to get it anywhere near the area code, and Justin Tucker can drill it. And not only did he miss, he misses short. Yeah. Weird sequence with 18 seconds left in this game where Lamar Jackson gets sacked, but then he was throwing the ball away, and then they review it, and then was it grounding if he would have thrown the ball away? It it was weird. Didn't matter. Okay. By the way, they kicked this field goal and missed. There's still time on the clock. The Colts go out there and run the ball and take it to OT. Not not giving it to Minshew. Interesting. Not like Gardner Minshew is this elite quarterback. I'm not going to tell you he's going to go out there, get traded to... Yeah, let's go with the Jets. You know what I mean? Keep it consistent. I'm not going to tell you he's going to get traded there and instantly they're going to be a title contender. They're going to beat the Bills handedly. But the guy's a competent NFL quarterback and he's stuck on the pinery. Like, come on, man. Um... Yeah, the Baltimore offense in big moments in this game, late fourth quarter and in overtime, was just not great. Not great at all. You want to complain about the missed pass interference and they turn the ball over? Yeah, go for it. Go, It happens. You cry me a river. It happens. Um, Wow. And then Matt Gay wins it from 50. This was a huge loss, in my opinion. And not only because the Baltimore Ravens went out there, against a team that's quite honestly not super impressive in the Indianapolis Colts. I think they were decent the first two games. They had some pluck to them, some fight to them. I liked what I saw from Anthony Richardson and some of the players on this team, but are they good enough to be beating a Baltimore Ravens team that should have walked into this game thinking, we just beat the Bengals. We are going to run this division. We did it. We, We know we're just every bit as good as the Bengals. Everybody's on them. All right, well, let's go out there and prove a point. Uh, And then let's go out there and lay an egg the next week. I know the Ravens offense is never going to be a tremendous passing attack. But when you're going out there and you're putting up a buck 80 on the ground and you're losing the game because you're not scoring, I don't know. Maybe this is just me. It just doesn't mix – just doesn't gel with me, right? You're paying Lamar Jackson through the nose. He runs for 100 yards and two touchdowns, which is not bad. He throws for 202, and, you know, it is what it is. I don't think the defense played particularly poorly for the Indianapolis Colts. They give up 100 yards on the ground to Zach Moss. That realistically shouldn't happen, but big old Quentin Nelson and some of the guys they have on that line anchoring it, holding it down. Nine catches for 77 for Michael Pittman. Eight catches for 57 for Josh Downs. This. I would say this game. Should be looked at if you're in the Baltimore locker room or a Baltimore fan as it's an aberration. Let's move on. Flush it and move on. It's, it happens. Not every team's going to go 14-3, and, and the only losses are going to be to division rivals that are heated or teams that are close to you. Sometimes you're going to lose to a bad team. Is Indy bad? I don't know if I'd go that far. But I tell you what, when they were on that football field this past weekend, these teams looked pretty even, and that's concerning if you are a Baltimore Raven fan. One of the other losses we're talking about here, speaking of concerning, the Dallas Cowboys laying a big old egg in Glendale, Arizona. Tony Pollard goes for a buck 20 on the ground. Another game, hey, buck 20 on the ground. CeeDee Lamb, 53 yards, underperforming a little, but 53 yards, can't really scoff at it. It's a decent game. 90 yards out of Michael Gallup, Gallup, excuse me. Dak throws a pick in this one, and what it comes down to is, I mean, the Cardinals got the lead, and they just played keep-away. They did not let Dallas back in this game. You want to talk about a team in Dallas, oh, they stomped the Giants and they beat the Jets. Okay, tremendous. The Jets didn't have their QB, and the Giants played the worst game they'll play all year. Probably the worst game they've played in about a, you know, I would say a decade, but I'd have to look back through the records for that one. Josh Dobbs goes out there against the Micah Parsons led pass rush, right? Defensive player of the year, MVP, talking comps with Lawrence Taylor. Josh Dobbs goes 17 of 21. Runs for 55 on six carries, throws for a buck 89 and a touchdown. Not crazy numbers in terms of the passing yards, but the efficiency. Against the Dallas defense, maybe they're going to miss Trayvon Diggs. Maybe they're going to be more vulnerable, right? You'd assume they will. They're going to be more vulnerable. You look at the carries for the uh, Cardinals running backs here. James Conner, 14 carries for 98 yards. And then you go to Rondell Moore on reverses and little gadget plays, three carries for 54. In total, you're talking 200 yards on the ground, just under 200 yards through the air. It's damn near the same numbers we were just talking about with the Ravens against the Colts. This is an Arizona Cardinal team that wasn't selling the jersey of their starting quarterback in the team store at the stadium while he was playing. Against the Cowboy team, oh, by the way, the people were saying they look like the best team in football. Yeah. There's falling in love with a team after a big performance. Like, I will I have to pick later in this show. Here's the perfect example for you. When we get into the pick-em portion, I'm going to have to pick Miami Buffalo. That's coming up. I'm going to have to pick that game after watching the Miami Dolphins score 832 points. It's going to be hard to not think, wow, they are clicking on every possible cylinder. We'll see how it comes out later in the show. This Cardinals team, right, Cowboys were clicking. Cardinals through two games. Oh, they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mentioned that last week. You're playing it close, and then you lose. You give the fan a little hope. You keep them entertained. You keep them in the seats. And then when it matters, since you're tanking, you're trying to get Cardale Williams. You go out there. Excuse me, Caleb Williams. I was thinking of Cardale Jones way back when. Uh, You're trying to get Caleb Williams. You need to lose games. Okay, cool. Then they go out there, and they do this to the Dallas Cowboys. And this game wasn't close for long stretches of this game. 28-16. 28-16. At least Baltimore took it to OT. Baltimore had the lead late and gave it up. Arizona did not did not let that even come into question. We're talking 21-10 at halftime. It got to 21-13 in the third. That's about it. Cardinals defense did the job. Speaking of your defense doing the job, and special teams, rather, the Houston Texans... 37 to 17 on their division, reigning division champion, division winners' home field. You see in this one, Brandon McManus goes one for three, right? If memory serves, and I'll take a peek at the notes I took down in this one. Seven nothing Houston early, after a missed Jacksonville field goal. Okay, then Jacksonville has a field goal blocked. Okay. Jacksonville's driving before halftime, down 14. They fumble. Okay, this is a nightmare game for the Jaguars. That being said, this game was 17-10 Houston in the third quarter. Okay, they kick it off. It's botched utterly by the up man, right? I believe it was a fullback or a tight end, Andrew Beck. And it's just, you know, the ball's on the ground. What's going on? And he runs it back. Because of course he does. Okay. Like, this one spiraled out of control. This is, I don't know how many of you are, I don't know the age demographic of our crowd here, if I'm being blunt with you, I don't have that data in front of me. I don't have that data, period. If you've ever played Madden football, the video game, and you've ever put it on all Madden, what this looked like was, when the game is decided, it's time for the, the computer to start winning on some plays. Like, oh, okay, oh, oh, my guys got pancaked on that run play. All right, well, we're going to have to stack the box. Oh, they called a deep shot. Okay, okay, cool. And then they kick it off. Oh, I just got, I just fumbled the kickoff. Okay, I guess it's going to go that way. That's the way it was. This is, I mentioned the Giants played their worst game of the year. It would shock me if Jacksonville plays a worse game than this. And people are heaping praise on the Texans. And honestly, they should. It wasn't all miscues. Like, you have to force that fumble on Jamal Agnew. You have to go block that field goal. If it was just missed kicks or it was a bad snap and it was, oh, who knows? You have a guy in Tank Dell go for a buck 45 and a touchdown. CJ Stroud, 20 of 30, 280, and two touchdowns. Pretty impressive, I would say. Through his first three games. Here's the stats for you. completion percentage Impressive for a rookie Impressive, period Four touchdowns, no interceptions On 121 attempts Will he throw an interception this week Because I just mentioned that number? Probably If you're a gambler I would consider betting on that right? Because they've been talking about it NFL Network brought it up Probably came up somewhere on an ESPN post-game show They're playing Pittsburgh Take that number whether it's going to be a strip sack or a pick or something. If you got $5, take a look at the defense or special teams for Pittsburgh to score a touchdown. Defense, rather. I don't know if you can get defense and special teams. I fantasy, you can, obviously. But either way, I say all that to say this. The name of the game is the bigger story, right? The smallest story is Jacksonville. And that's why they're the honorable mention on top of the fact that i think they're in the best position in terms of the com- the competition level they have to face in their division they had the nightmare first half they will not have a, a worse force, first half excuse me fumble block field goal miss field goal it won't happen it simply will not the fact that they're 1 and 2 and they're sitting in a division that is winnable You know what I mean? They're not looking up at a 3-0. They're a a game behind the Indianapolis Colts, who won an OT. And we're talking about them as well. Right? The Jaguars have already played Kansas City. They got it out of the way. They're going to London. Maybe they'll bounce back there. We'll talk picks later. But, man, they've got to be the smallest story. Now, in the middle, so who's going to be the bigger story here? Dallas or Baltimore? The reason I'm going with Baltimore comes down to my expectations for these teams. I did not buy the Dallas hype. I think Dallas is a good team. I did not buy the Dallas Cowboys are all of a sudden going to be the best team in football. I'll believe it when I see it. I didn't see it. They beat the Giants and the Jets. Who cares? Born and raised New Yorker, it's not that hard to beat our teams. It's really not, especially back-to-back especially when Aaron Rodgers is not playing. I don't know if the Jets would have won that game with Rodgers, but they certainly weren't going to with Zach Wilson. And the Giants might as well have had Zach Wilson at quarterback the way things went in week one. I've got them number two because I think Philly is the best team in the NFC East anyway. Losing ground on them, you know, it is what it is. It was going to happen eventually. The biggest story has to be the Baltimore Ravens. Because, oh, by the way, now the Baltimore Ravens look up at the standings, and they find themselves in a three-way tie. Pittsburgh wins in primetime. Cleveland wins. And you are looking at 2-1, and 2-1, and 2-1 and one across the board. Wow. I know you beat Cincinnati. One-game lead. It's week three. It's hard to have a super big lead. But you needed to gas pedal and build a lead because I don't think Unless Joe Burrow's calf is going to be a nagging issue all season, unless this is going to be a thing that derails their whole year, if he is going to get healthier, they are going to get better. They are going to catch you guys. You got to win the games you're supposed to win. Big loss for the Baltimore Ravens. Next, bigger story. Let's get positive with it. Bigger story, the Detroit Lions taking down the Atlanta Falcons, and oh, by the way, taking down the Green Bay Packers, but we'll talk primetime in a sec, or the L.A. Chargers taking down the Minnesota Vikings. The reason I say we'll talk Packers in a sec is because I view these two matchups similarly. The Falcons were just barely on the outside looking in because of a weak division last year. They came out to a 2-0 and start this year, some momentum, they were clicking. Detroit, on the other hand, lost their momentum after their Week 1 win. They were on the outside looking in as well. The other matchup: the L.A. Chargers and the Vikings, both entering at 0 and 2. Good offenses, teams that are supposed to do something this year. We'll talk Chargers and how this game ended in a second. Um, you'd have to make the argument at the at the front of this, right? That it's the Chargers because teams that go 0 and 3 usually don't make the playoffs, right? Just the way it is. However, you look at the standings this year, we don't really have a lot of teams sitting at 3-0. Oddly enough, we seem to have, I guess you'd say, a lot of parity right now. Niners at 3-0, Philly at 3-0, Dolphins at 3-0. That's it. That's odd. Going into week four, I find that odd. Considering thinking way back, you know, decade plus ago, it was who's going to go almost undefeated this year ooh new orleans is 12 and 0 ooh the colts are 11 and 0 again oh they get to face brady oh the colts are 9 and 1 and brady's 11 and 0 like it just happened this year parity got there fast anyway let's talk detroit the detroit lions in this game i it's not a must win right but it's a gettable division minnesota's doing poorly right now in terms of the win loss record you need to start stacking wins. The Bears are not looking good. The Packers, who knows, and obviously they go out and punk them. We'll get there in a sec, like I said. 22-33, 243 a touchdown and a pick. Jameer Gibbs, 17 for 80 on the ground. No Montgomery in this one. He comes back for the Thursday night game. Um, they look great. I am moderately concerned if you're a Detroit fan and you want this team to contend about some depth at the receiver position, or in the passing game, I should say. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is tremendous. Truly. Nine catches for a buck, two in this one. Uh, Sam Laporta's looked pretty good. Young tight end. I think you might need another guy. Does that mean going out and trading for somebody at the deadline, or does that mean you're just a little early in the window? Um, Realistically, that's up to where they are as the trade deadline approaches. I think considering you have a veteran quarterback, it would be an odd stance to take to say we're early in the window, right? You'd want to go out there and take a shot. You say that when you look at a team like Atlanta, who they played in this game, by the way, who dropped six points, three points in either half. Desmond Ritter, 201 yards passing, 21 of 38. And then you have Bijan Robinson, 10 carries for 33. The Lions defense looked pretty good in this game, right? Obviously. You have Kyle Pitts, young tight end. Drake London, young receiver. Bijan John Robinson, young running back. Desmond Ritter, is he even our guy? Oh, by the way, young QB. It makes sense to me for them to say, we're early in our window. We don't need to do it right now. We don't need to gamble on anything. I get it. Detroit, I'd say look out for them at the deadline to make a move. Um, either way, we're talking bigger win. This is a big win to me because I view them they're in the similar class, Like right? There's the elite in the NFC, who I would say is San Francisco and Philly. And then there's everybody else, right? You're all competing. Detroit can be a division winner. Like I said, you're looking at Minnesota sitting at 0-2, going to 0-3 on this day. You can take this division. Rodgers is gone. The boogeyman is gone. The light's on in the closet. There's nothing in there. Go out there and get a win, and they did, and it was a big one dominant win. It wasn't 45-10. to It was 20-6. to But it was dominant. 13-3 at halftime. 13-3 start in the fourth quarter. Dominant win. Now let's talk Chargers-Vikings. And if you've been listening since last year, you know I'm not really the biggest fan of the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. Right? I don't think anyone's really a big Brandon Staley guy out there. I've said before, I I don't think... He's botched before and he'll botch again. Um, This is a game where the Vikings just couldn't stop putting the ball on the ground. Hawkinson fumbles in the red zone. Then they have another fumble uh, in the red zone later in this game. Then we have a touchdown scored by the Chargers to take the lead. This was the game-winning touchdown. Tipped by a Minnesota defensive back to the receiver. To, I believe it was Josh Palmer. Yeah. um, wh- What? Then, Minnesota, goal line with three minutes to go. They go for it. All right, fair enough. It is what it is, stuffed. Okay. Chargers then go for it on their own 20 late in the fourth quarter. And I can't comprehend that move. And... I'm sick and tired. Look, I'm not going to tell you I'm a data scientist. I'm not going to tell you I'm a mathematician. I I tend to think of myself as someone that has an above-average understanding of basic mathematics. I'm not going to tell you that I can understand the Amazon services that are at play here when they say they're generating the win probability. I also find it fascinating that I, I can't seem to find anywhere where they explain explicitly what's going on. Is it proprietary? Are you throwing darts at a board and saying, yeah, the Chargers got uh, got the ball and uh, a 72.2% chance to win? Is it compared against past precedent? Are you running AI-powered simulations of how the game's going to go? Because there's an infinite, and I mean that in the literal sense, an infinite amount of possibilities for the way things could break down. Let me give you an example. Fourth down at their own 20. It's simple. It breaks down into a run or a pass. How many different runs or passes can they run? What if a player gets injured? What if a player, you know, how many different penalties can be called in this situation? What if it's a pick? What if it's a pick and they run it back? Then what does the win probability do? Because the Chargers get the ball back. Maybe it's not infinite. Maybe I'm exaggerating here. But the number of variables in predicting real life, real everyday life, is significant. It's not just an equation right? That's why I ask, are they measuring it against past situations? Oh, in the past, teams have had the ball, fourth and two at their own 20, X amount of times, they've punted the ball Y amount of times, and that left them losing 34%. Okay, well, if you go for it here, you will win the game 100% of the time. So that, oh, wow, well, well, if we get it, all we got to do is get it. Oh, that's all you got to do. Oh, okay, I, I didn't realize that's all you had to do. All you got to do is get it. Oh, why didn't any? Why didn't those other teams think of that? Why didn't they think of just getting the first down? Oh, that's stupid. Like I don't understand. Please, if anyone out there is anything affiliated with anything regarding this, comment section of where you're listening has one. Social media, all social media, at Nick ADIC, N I K D O N A D I C. I beg of you. They hide. They hide this what I consider asinine decision behind the guise of it's analytically driven. Isn't analytics supposed to be leaning on the numbers and the metrics? And what happened to basic logic? This is this is Belichick against the Colts at his own thirty-five or forty. Like we've seen this movie. You're not facing Peyton Manning. You could punt the ball. You just stopped them at the goal line. And then the worst part, the worst thing that happens when someone makes a decision like this is for it to pay off. What happens? Minnesota gets the ball back. They run it down. They get near the goal line. There's awful clock management. Then after the game, Cousins says he couldn't hear the play call because of the crowd noise. They're at home. You're at home. You can't hear over the home crowd. Just spike the ball. There's like 15 seconds left. You wasted 15 seconds already. You're not going to get four plays off. Just spike the ball and take a breath. Forces it into Hawkinson. It's tipped, intercepted. The Chargers win. The worst thing, I will reiterate, to come of this, is the fact that the Chargers won the game. Because if you win doing this, you are going to encourage other teams to at least consider it. They might not do it, They might go, "Mm, you know, I was listening to this podcast the other week, and uh, this, this guy made a decent point. He's like, hey, you know, that's pretty dumb. And I was like, yeah, you know, that is pretty dumb. Let's not do that. Well, thanks for listening if you're out there, Mike Tomlin and the like. But in all honesty, this is the same thing we see in other sports now, right? We see it in baseball. Oh, well, you got to take a guy out third time through the batting order. You got to do this, got to do that. We saw it a few years in the World Series. A few years ago, I should say. Blake Snell pitching the game of his life. His life against the LA Dodgers. Well, we got to yank him here, you know. The numbers say he's going to uh, start to do worse. Let me tell you this one. um, And I'm mixing the sports as I am inclined to do. I know you all love it out there. You know what's statistically never going to happen when you run a guy out there? He's not going to pitch a perfect game. It's never going to happen. So if he's perfect through seven, just take him out, right? The math would say he's never going to finish the perfect game. Look at the number of pitchers that have started games in the history of baseball. Look at the number of pitchers that have made it six innings, seven innings, eight innings even, perfect. He's just not going to finish it. Why waste the innings on his arm? Right? Remember when the Indianapolis Colts, another Colts mentioned here in this episode, would get to like 10 and 0, 11 and 0, 12 and 0, whatever, and they'd say, you know, oh well, they got their loss out of the way. They didn't go they didn't get let the pressure mount by having an undefeated regular season. Cuz just nobody's ever done it before, yeah. Think of the pressure. Well, you know what Peyton Manning had never done before in those years? Won a Super Bowl. There's, there's not enough pressure from that. There's not enough pressure. No, well, it would be the pressure of the regular season being undefeated. Oh, is that it? Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, when you put it that way, right? Okay. Rant aside, who had the bigger win? As I said, statistically, and I mean it not in the shenanigans, Fugazi numbers way, I should say the Chargers. 0-3 teams have a hard time making it. I'm, I'm going to give the nod to Detroit. Just based on the fact that, that Staley made a decision that I find abhorrent and I won't reward it. Truly, it should be the Chargers, but you know what? We'll throw the asterisk on it for this one. You do not get to win. Do not pass code. Do not collect $200. Thank you. Good day, sir. Number three in the standout seven, let's talk primetime. Let's talk, and not Dion Sanders, by the way. Prime time football games. The Pittsburgh Steelers kind of gritting one out as they are inclined to do. It was 23-7 in this game. The Raiders kind of scratch and clawed. Jimmy Garoppolo throws three interceptions. First of all, if Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback and he's throwing interceptions, you're not going to win the game. I don't have to see any of the other stats. The analytics would tell me that Jimmy Garoppolo wins games for you by not turning the ball over and making smart plays. If he's throwing three interceptions, you are losing the game. And, oh, by the way, you might be throwing the ball too much. Um, big game for Devontae Adams, 13 for a buck 70 we We'll talk Raiders in a little bit. we got another segment lined up after this. Um, pretty good game for the Steelers, if we're being completely honest. The Raiders are a team going into the year I think a lot of people thought would be better than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh still got the good defense. Kenny Pickett did what he had to do, 18 of 28. Sorry, 16 of 28. 235 and two touchdowns, George Pickens showed up, long bomb to Calvin Austin. Good win for Pittsburgh, in what is now a close-ish division for the time being. Uh, Next we got the Monday doubleheader. Um, Yeah, I mean, come on guys. It's Philly against Baker. Jalen Hurts didn't play very well, I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, DeAndre Swift looked fantastic. Somehow, I'm not saying DeAndre Swift is not a talented running back, but 130 yards on the ground. Add in 131 through the air for A.J. Brown. Add in turnovers for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to at least counterbalance the two picks thrown by Hertz. Um, yeah. Tampa Bay was an uphill battle, and you just. There wasn't enough firepower to get that done. The other Monday night game, the Super Bowl rematch, Cincinnati winds up bringing this one home. Stafford throws two picks. Burrow throws one. Burrow goes 26 of 49 for 259. Stafford, 18 of 33 for 269. Neither team's offense looked very good. Neither team looked very good. Um, defensive struggle, let's call it. Puka Nakua putting up crazy numbers still. He had five catches in this one for 72. I think I said during the predictions last week that I complimented him for having crazy stats. I was like, oh, by the way, then he'll go out and have four catches for 75 or something. Um, and people will say it was a fluke. Well, I almost hit it on the nose. Either way, Jamar Chase had a great game. The Bengals walk away with a victory. It was a close one. I'm not expecting much out of the Rams this year. And that, even though the Bengals won, and you need to get one before you can get one win, before you can get to ten wins, or, you know, whatever, um, before you can get on a winning streak, I really, really don't like what I'm seeing from Cincinnati. At all. Um, Then the Lions game. The Lions Thursday night football game in which we have the Green Bay Packers booed off the field. Booed off the field at home. Wow. At halftime. 27-3. David Montgomery goes for three touchdowns. Didn't play in the last game. 32 carries, a buck 21 and three touchdowns. Um, Jordan Love, I said he needed his coming out moment to really win some Packer fans over. He had it Sunday, not Thursday. Had it Sunday against the Saints, right? Against a backup QB. It is what it is. Nobody's going to remember that in 10 years. He showed him, hey, hold on. We can can make some comebacks. We can make some plays with me at QB. Believe in me here, guys. Come on. Let's do this. You know what? Pretty good comeback. Like I said, backup QB on the other sideline. You're really trailing. Eh... It was not great, if I'm being honest. He needed that win. He needed to show the fans something. I'm not going to overhype it. Derek Carr gets hurt. No Alvin Kamara. Come on. Good win. 18 in the fourth quarter for Green Bay. Good win. The Packer fan will remember that for at least a handful of weeks, but evidently they didn't remember it four days later because they got booed off the field for losing to Detroit. Detroit. There's your primetime games. That's number three in the standout seven. Let's go to number four slash five here. We're talking teams in no man's land. Now, what do I mean by no man's land? Well, we've got two groups here. We're going to start with the playoff hopefuls, a couple of which we've already touched on. Playoff hopefuls with quotations and asterisks here. Let's talk about Minnesota. Right? The Minnesota Vikings right now are looking up at the Detroit Lions. Detroit at 3-1. and one. Okay. Well, who does Minnesota have this week? Well, luckily for them, they have Carolina, who has not looked tremendous. But then the next week, they have Kansas City. Two weeks after that, they have San Francisco. This is the uh, the struggle of being a high-achieving team. Eventually, you're going to have to face some of the better teams as well. Oh, by the way, their last four games are in Cincinnati, Home to Detroit, home to the Packers, and then they end in Detroit. Scheduling, I usually knock the NFL scheduling. That looks pretty darn good to me. Here's the thing, though. And I say they're in no man's land because they're 0-3, and I know the numbers about being 0-3 and how you don't make the postseason and yada, yada, yada. Kirk Cousins, through three games, has a hair under a 70% completion percentage. Stats by ESPN. by the way, he's averaging 350 passing yards a game. He's pacing for over 5,000 yards. He's pacing for over 40 passing touchdowns. And he's also pacing to get sacked 40 times. Fascinating. On the ground... Four yards a carry for Alexander Madison, 39 carries for a buck 55. I think their running game has been diminished, obviously, by not having Dalvin Cook. Will factoring in Cam Akers, now that they've acquired him, help? We'll see. Cam Akers was okay in L.A., I don't think he was, you know, a superstar running back. But maybe if you mix him with Madison, you can kind of Frankenstein your way to a running game. Justin Jefferson, 458 yards on 27 catches. He's looked great. Hawkinson, 23 catches for a buck 79. He's looked great. Jordan Addison, who I thought would win rookie of the year, 13 catches for a buck 85, two touchdowns. He's looked good too. I think he had a big drop in this past game, if memory serves. I like their offense a lot. Defensively, I don't know. Daniel Hunter sitting at five sacks through three games. He is all of their sacks. He's got more sacks than whole teams. They need to force some turnovers. One interception through three games. One fumble recovery through three games. Now, they've forced five fumbles, but they just haven't had the, you know, call it luck, call it whatever it is, to hop on top of one of those. I put them as a playoff hopeful, and I put them first in this category, this segment, because I think Minnesota can still make the postseason. I do honestly think they're still not playing poorly at all. I think they're a pretty good football team. Unfortunately for them, their first three games, they've run into Tampa Bay, who surprised them, let's be frank, Philly, who's the best team or second best team in the NFC, depending on who you're asking, and the Chargers, who are another playoff hopeful. They still have games in here that are winnable. They've got Carolina this week. It's hard to be must-win in week four, but sitting at 0-3, it might be. They've got Chicago twice. They've got New Orleans, who may or may not have Derek Carr. They've got Atlanta. They've got the Broncos. They've got the Raiders. And they've got Green Bay twice, which you should, you know, reasonably, I guess you could argue they should win. At least one, if not both. I put them here because they're in no man's land at 0-3, despite the fact they have quite a few players who are honestly performing at peak efficiency, peak value. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been playing tremendous. Justin Jefferson's playing great. Hawkinson's been good. Addison's been good. As we just mentioned on the defense, they got some guys standing out as well, like Daniil Hunter. I think this team's good. And then we start to slide down deeper into the ditch that is no man's land. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. Right now, the New Orleans Saints' leading rusher is Taysom Hill. That's a problem. I think Jamal Williams is a pretty good complementary back, but without Kamara there, it's been a little rough. When Camara comes back, which I believe he'd be back this week, um, it should certainly help. The big issue is Derek Carr going down with a shoulder injury. I am a Jameis Winston. I would say, well, you know, maybe I would say fan because I do find him kind of hilarious sometimes, whether it be the eat in the W thing or the, you know, the fun fact with him being like the only QB ever to have the 30-30 season. I think the 30-30 that he put up, is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Right, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, 5,000 yards is what I'm referencing, by the way. Um, I think that Two weeks in a row mentioning Jameis. Last week I said the Jets should trade for him. Well, now they can't. Now it's going to be a little rough. Um, either way, without Derek Carr, I thought the Saints team would be the best team in this division, if I'm being honest. If Derek Carr is going to miss an extended period of time, it's going to be a problem. They have Alave, they have Michael Thomas, who's working his way into being what he used to be. I don't know if he'll get there, but he's working towards it. They have Rashid Shahid, who I like, Jawan Johnson, pretty good tight end. Some pieces on defense, Pete Werner, Demario Davis, Lattimore, and Tyron Matthew, and, you know, Cam Jordan's still around. Without the QB, it's hard. It really is. And that's why I have them in no-man's land. They're 2-1. They are a playoff-caliber team. They're looking like, you know... They can win this division. If Carr is going to have this issue nagging him the whole season, who knows how it's going to be, and I can't answer that question for you right now. I don't know if I'll be able to answer that question for you in a month. They said that he was week to week with the AC injury, AC joint sprain. Is that Does that mean he'll play this week? I doubt it. Does that mean he'll play next week? I doubt it. You kind of need your shoulder to play quarterback. Now, is it maybe they they build it up a little too much? Maybe it's not as serious as we may think. We'll find out. If Derek Carr misses a significant amount of time, and I'll call that anything over four games, it's going to get iffy because their division, while it's not stacked, is not a cakewalk either. The Panthers don't look good. Fair. The Buccaneers, who they play this week, are coming in at 2-1, and one, and their loss is to the NFC reigning champion. The Falcons are 2-1, and one, and their loss was on the road to a team that was almost a playoff team last year. It's going to be competitive, and they need Derek Carr out there. They really do. No man's land as we sit entering week four. Now let's take it to the West Coast to continue the trend in no man's land. We talked Monday Night Football. Let's talk about the Rams. Kyron Williams a couple weeks ago looked tremendous. right? He might still be their lead back. Puka Nakua looks pretty darn good. Tutu Atwell, shot plays, right? Tyler Higbee, pretty good tight end. Van Jefferson pitching in now and again. Aaron Donald, still Aaron Donald, you know, doing the darn thing out there. Um, Piecing together a defense as they go, I would say. Matt Stafford looks, you know, Bengals' game notwithstanding looks much better than he did last year. The Bengals, come on. I can't jump off the bandwagon already. I was ready for that team to be a Super Bowl champion. I can't knock them for having a rough game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Though it wasn't a good one. Um, They're in no man's land because they're in a hard division. And I I think you could have made this argument six weeks ago, right? San Francisco is tremendous. Seattle right now is better than them. And Arizona has been surprisingly competitive. This is going to be a hard year for them. And with the way they've constructed this team, in terms of the payroll and trading draft picks and things like that, where are they going to go if they don't win? And if they do win, is it going to be even worse? Because then they'll have to buy in to keep this going. I don't know. We had the conversation after the Rams won the Super Bowl about Matthew Stafford Launching himself into the Hall of Fame conversation. And I stand by what I said then, and I think, honestly, it was still pretty accurate. I said, if he stays healthy, with the numbers he's putting up, he will be a Hall of Famer. Well, he wasn't healthy last year, and we'll see how it goes this year. That being said, there were people saying, well, maybe they should trade him to the Jets. And I get where they're coming from. Salary cap be damned, mind you, the people that were suggesting something like that. But either way, they're in no man's land just by happenstance. They won their Super Bowl. I'm sure the fans are not exactly angry that they find themselves where they are now. They find themselves in a situation that champions have found themselves in in all sports. We won. We kept some of the guys. What do we do now? Well, as the players get older, you're going to have to try and fill the gaps because their salaries go up as well. No man's land for the LA Rams. Speaking of the West Coast, no man's land, our final playoff hopeful, number four in the standout seven, the Vegas Raiders. And is, is this me just hating on Jimmy Garoppolo? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Through three games, Jimmy Garoppolo has six interceptions. Three games. Josh Jacobs is averaging 2.4 yards a carry. Devontae Adams looks good. Jacoby Myers doing his thing out there trying to pitch in to to match the production they lost from Darren Waller. Uh, Austin Hooper and Michael Mayer, you know. Mayer not so much, but Hooper's pitched in a little bit so far. Um, I don't think their defense is tremendous. I like some of the pieces. I like the athleticism of a guy like Divine Diablo. I like Max Crosby. It's hard not to, right? This is another team that just, no turnovers. Got to force some turnovers, especially if your QB is going to throw eight interceptions. Excuse me, six interceptions through three games. It, that's not what they expected when they signed Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy check down Garoppolo, you know? They're in no man's land and they're in a the division with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chargers who are either eventually going to take their next step or make a head coaching change. Right? It's a rough spot to be in. Keeping it with this same theme, let's transition to number five in the standout seven. We went from playoff hopefuls in No Man's Land. So No Man's Land is a bit, you know, big wasteland, right? But We have some, you see lights on the horizon. Minnesota, they're in a car. They're driving towards that city or Oasis, whatever it is. We'll find out. New Orleans, they're on a horse maybe, right? Derek Carr's injured, so you got a guy on the back. Oh, we can get you to base camp. We can get you there. The Rams and the Raiders, they're they are kind of staggering through. They're just looking. They're stumbling through here. Um, these next two teams are going the wrong way. Or they're not moving at all. And that's part of the problem. Let's keep it in the AFC West. Let's talk about the Denver Broncos. Um, we couldn't go and not talk about a team that just lost 463-7. to seven. Um, Russell Wilson through three games. The stats are not awful. 791 through the air, 65% completion percentage, six touchdowns, two picks, add in 57 on the ground. Not that bad. Javante Williams, 138 yards through three games. Not the best, but, you know, it is what it is. Marvin Mims Jr. looks pretty good. Cortland Sutton, still pretty good. Jerry Judy, okay. Can they stay healthy at receiver? No, of course not. Uh, they've still had that issue. They, they went out and signed Sean Payton to be their head coach, and I get it. They've invested in Russell Wilson. They need to try and maximize Russell Wilson. And how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to do that by getting a Super Bowl champion head coach, who you'd hope can turn this around, right? When when Sean Payton and Drew Brees linked up, nobody knew that they were going to spawn a Lombardi trophy. So now we have an aging veteran, Russell Wilson, who's been there and won that. We're going to bring in Sean Payton, who's been there and won that. A while ago, but he did it. And the Saints were contenders quite a bit while he was in New Orleans. I get the decision-making. I said this when they inked the contract. The problem that they had was signing an extension with Russell at its inception. Because when they acquired Russell Wilson, he was already under contract. So, like, you extended him five years. We haven't even hit those years. Like, look, spotrack.com, by the way, for contract details. Not a sponsorship, but that's where I go. Five-year, $240 million deal. The first year of its next year, guys. They have a potential out after 2025 per Spotrack. Yeah, they'll take it. I would bet any amount of money they'll take it. It's going to be a hit and dead cap and whatever, yada, yada, yada. But... Guys, why did you sign this extension? It's not like he had... And look, if I'm wrong, correct me. Social media comment section, you know the deal. It's not like he had a no-trade clause from Seattle. You didn't have to sweeten the pot. You could have just let it be. I don't understand why you would do that. His extension that he was on from Seattle was from 19 through 23. We're in 23 now. I, I don't get it, you know, and you look at it. Well, it mirrors what they did with Peyton. Well, Peyton was a free agent. You had to sign him. You had to give him good money to get him to go there. Russell, you made the trade. He was already there. You didn't have to add five years. You could have added two years. and I still would have said, all right, whatever. You don't need to do that. But at least it's, you know, you, you're look. You wanted him to have a seven year tenure there, which is fine. You know, maybe it would have worked. And maybe it still will, right? Who knows? That's the beauty of life. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who's a mobile quarterback, who's a smaller stature quarterback. And it, like it, it's just mobile quarterbacks don't really age well, man. Russell's not playing that poorly. I'm not saying it's on him. I'm saying the reason they're in no man's land is because they signed this extension. If they didn't, let's say they did nothing. They signed, the, they signed the contract to get the, to, uh, rather they signed the deal to acquire him, right? And he's in his walk year here. He'd be all the more inspired to play better. And you could have got anybody to be the head coach. It wouldn't have mattered. You could have still got Sean Payton. And then at the end of the year, let's say you go 5-12. and 12, You go, hey, Sean, you know what? We're going to use some assets. We're going to go out there and get you QB. You're going to develop them. Let's see what happens. Now does Sean have a track record of developing QBs? I believe he was in the Cowboys system, right? But in New Orleans it was Drew Brees or bust. And when it wasn't, they busted. So I don't know. They married themselves to this situation. They're stuck here. I said I like Javante Williams a lot. I like Cort- I like Cortland Sutton. I like Jerry Judy. I like what I've seen out of Marvin Mims. I like some of the guys on their defense, right? Randy Gregory, pretty good former Cowboy, right? Singleton, Justin Simmons. There's some players on this team. Kareem Jackson, when he's not giving people concussions, playing like a menace. But they're in no man's land and they're they're in quicksand, right? It's like you make the decision to get Russell and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm stuck a little bit, but that's fine. You try and pull the branch. Oh, we signed a contract extension. You sink in a little further. Oh, we got a head coach to try and do Oh, we sink in a little further. How's this going to go, guys? You're still in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. It's going to be hard. It's not getting any easier. Finally, we must throw in, this class, as I said, is called What Are We Doing? Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Um, and look, Bears fan, if you're out there, wherever you are, I'm not doing this to, you know, anger you or make fun of you, make fun of your organization. Rather, I just think it's perplexing. What's going on there? There was an interview I saw today, reposted via Catch the Blitz on Instagram, by the way. Chase Claypool was asked if the Bears were using him properly on offense. Chase Claypool, through three games, has... Four catches on 14 targets. 51 yards and a touchdown. Chase Claypool's answer was... Explicitly... No. That's all. No need for elaboration. No. What's going on? I mean... I understand, you know, Coach Eberflus... He's he's doing the thing. Um I don't I don't understand what the game plan is here. And you moved on from Nagy, right? Offensive guy. You go with Iber Flus, who was a defensive guy, and you've got Luke Getze as your offensive coordinator. What is Luke Getzey really uh really really getting at here? I think, you know, if you look back here, if we could make a swap, Sean Payton, if he was in, maybe he wasn't interested in coaching Justin Fields, maybe he wasn't interested in a rebuild and he thought Denver was ready to win. It would almost make sense for Sean Payton to have moved to Chicago with a QB who needs that development, who needs that ready made. We can, you know, I, I'm an offensive guru. I know what I'm doing. Matt Nagy, Nagy, went back to work for Kansas City. In the offensive room, the offense in in Chicago, you know, was meh under him. So I get why they went to the other side of the ball. Usually if you have an offensive coach and you're firing him, you go for a defensive coach, it changes it up, yada, yada, yada. Through three games, Justin Fields has 526 passing yards, four interceptions, 58% completion percentage. They showed a graphic during the Chiefs-Bears game comparing how long... Patrick Mahomes and Justin Fields hold the ball in the pocket. And they said, oh, you know, it's similar. The difference is Mahomes' completion percentage was significantly higher. And the amount that he succumbed to sacks was still lower, even though he's not as agile. The measurables are there for Justin Fields. The arm, the athleticism the whole thing with talking about playing robotic all jokes aside was bizarre I don't know what's going on there I mean the guy has the the build you know in terms of the frame and like I said the talents to go be like a Cam Newton sort of quarterback but Cam was so much more developed as a passer and even when he had to be essentially a lead running back they were doing the job this, this Bears team is going nowhere fast. I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be the starting quarterback of this team next year. I don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback of this team by December. Do you pull the plug on him to pull the plug on him? I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's harsh. You let him go out there and they go 5-12, and 12 maybe. And whatever happens, happens. And then if you want to make a trade or you want to do this and that in the offseason, you do what you got to do. But I, I don't know, guys. I really don't know. Like, you want to get real spicy with it? Call the Jets. Call the Jets and ask them if they want Justin Fields. Say, you know what, throw me a a relatively high draft pick and let me, you know, I don't even really want Zach Wilson, but run him out there and let him lose, whatever. Um, They could use him, yeah. Run me a high draft pick. And if you make the playoffs, I get an even better pick. I don't think it's time to pull the plug, but with the way this team looks on a week-in, week-out basis, I said, maybe it's an overreaction. It's early in the season. I usually try not to do that, but nobody's perfect. Man, what is going on with the Chicago Bears? That's why they are the other entrant in the what-are-we-doing no-man's land. That's not to say there aren't other teams that could arguably fit in here, right? You could make the argument the Giants are in no-man's land, bottom of their division. 1-2. 1-2. and two. You can make the argument. Um, let's see. Well, no. In the NFC, I think that might be it. The Jets had injuries. New England, you could make the argument. What are we doing? We're going nowhere fast. Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, that's probably it. I'm confident in that. Tennessee, but that's a winnable division. Would it shock you if they somehow found a way to win it? I'd be a little surprised, but I don't know about shocked. Either way, those are our no Man's Land Squadrons. Maybe we'll check in on it. Usually I try to save stuff like this for the quarters, right? Week four or week, rather, week five, um, you know, the midway point of the season. But now the season's 18 weeks. All the numbers are all funky. We'll do this whenever we feel like it. And we felt like doing it this week. Number six in the standout is going to be a quick one. Um, and it's just the NFL and NFLPA modifying their gambling policies. I think this is interesting. There will now be increases per Adam Shafter, by the way. Increased discipline for gambling on NFL games. A violation is one year. Two if you bet on your own team. Game fixing is an instant banishment, as it should be, obviously. Betting on here's an interesting one, and why I bring it up. Betting on non-NFL sports from the workplace will now lead to this violation. First violation, two game suspension. Second, six game, third, one year at least. And those are non-NFL sports. This is a guy sitting in the locker room betting on a baseball game at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. And you can get suspended. Now, this is where I think they've gone too far. I have no problem with suspensions for betting on football if you are a football player. right? No problem whatsoever. I have no pro. I encourage the policy that they've set where you are banished if you bet on your team. I completely understand that. And not to mention the sports books should probably applaud that, right? Because you can really get into some point shaving and some dangerous things here. The problem I have is and it's been it's been said by other people and I'll I'll parrot it a little bit. I'll be honest, I'm not the first. Why can't they gamble on other sports? It's, oh, because it's in the workplace? Sitting in the locker room on a Thursday, sitting in the cold tub on a Monday, and you just so happen to want to bet on a basketball game going on 400 miles from you. Why? Why can't they? The NFL is partnered up and down with these gambling everythings, organizations, whatever you want to call them, companies, right? Probably the easier word the right word why can't some random player and I'm comf- I'm careful to not use a name here I'm not going to be that guy and make a joke about Calvin Ridley or whoever I don't want to implicate any of these guys because look I've sports bet before too you do what you got to do you do what's interesting to you if you're a professional athlete you probably are a big sports fan unless you're someone like Curtis Martin who famously like I said wasn't really a big football fan people grow up watching sports and as you have money in your pocket you tend to think you know a thing or two well let me try and take my 10 bucks and make 50 and if you're making 5.7 million dollars a year you can take 20 bucks and try and make a thousand or a thousand dollars and try and make twenty thousand why it's your prerogative so if you take three steps out of the building you can do it interesting saw people in the comments section of Adams post talking about why don't they increase the punishments for things that are actually bad? Why don't they increase the punishments for, uh, you know, committing off-the-field crimes, whether it be DUIs, touchy subject, you know, sexual assault, whether it be allegation or conviction, things like that. And when you get into just an allegation and not an actual conviction, things get muddy, especially nowadays. I don't think I need to elaborate on that one for you, but... Things like domestic violence, where Greg Hardy was given chance after chance. People take get a lot of enjoyment watching Greg Hardy fight actual heavyweight fighters now and lose. Because he's no longer, you know, being that guy, let's just say. It's an interesting take. You also look at the policies they've had over the years about substance abuse. You look at a guy like Josh Gordon. You know, superstardom, fast track to out-of-the-league... Who are you? Addiction and things like that. There's some people out there that would argue that the league kind of turned their back on him after that. We don't know all the details. I don't know if I'd make that argument, but I've heard it thrown around that they were very happy to post highlights of him and do this and that. And when it mattered, and he looked like potentially an addict, where was the helping hand from the person that was drumming up the clicks or drumming up the highlights? I don't know. Interesting to me. I do think there should be a distinction if you're betting on another sport. That's just me. Number seven in the standout seven has unofficially become the injury update portion. So let's talk some bigger injuries. Jamal Williams, we talked about him before. New Orleans State's going to go to IR. He's going to be out at least four weeks. Nick Chubb reportedly may only miss six to eight months. If you do the math on that one, that would be the end of the season, right? So... Not a super big thing, but here it is. Alvin Kamara going to be back this week, as we said. Mike Williams, a huge one for the Chargers, which we didn't mention earlier somehow. He was having a great game against the Vikings, and he tore his ACL. Uphill battle already for the Chargers, and it's going to get even more challenging. Then you have David Bakhtiari, talented offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers. He's going to go to IR as well. That'll bring us to the end of my standout, say, seven, excuse me, and take us to my favorite part, your favorite part of this week's episode, the Pick'em portion of episode number 171. Um, We're running a little long this week. Sorry about all the ranting and raving. We'll try and fly through these as best we can. Uh, Our first game is going to be on ESPN Plus exclusively, unless you use Website Redacted or Website Redacted. I know you're sure. Everyone has their own to go to. Um, Either way, no. In all seriousness, it's on ESPN+. 9.30 a.m. from Wembley Stadium in London, England. The Atlanta Falcons head there to take on the London Jaguars, who have been in London damn near every year, it seems. Falcons going to be without wide receiver Josh Ali with an ankle injury. Questionable for them. Running back Cordero Patterson with a thigh. Jaguars going to be without wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee. Linebacker Devin Lloyd with a thumb. And safety Antonio Johnson with a hammy injury. Questionable, wide receiver Jamal Agnew with a quad. Offensive lineman Anton Harrison with an ankle. And D-lineman Foley Fatukasi with a shoulder. Admittedly, part of me wants to take Atlanta in this game. I don't know why. Something about the performance the Jaguars put out there last week just really was bizarre to me, and it made me think maybe I've overrated this Jaguars team. That being said... This is kind of their second home. I think they will get a bump from being out there in front of their fake home home crowd. So you know what? Give me the Jaguars to win this one in London, England. Now into the 1 o'clock a slate, the early slate for those of us who don't wake up early to watch NFL football on our weekends. The LA Rams head to Indy to take on the Colts. Rams listing a handful of players as questionable for this one, starting with wide receiver Ben Skoranek with an Achilles, tight end Tyler Higby also with an Achilles, offensive lineman Alaric Jackson with a hammy, and DB John Johnson III with a facial injury. By the way, John Johnson III, one of the best names in football. Colts going to be without 2-0 linemen in this one, both in the concussion protocol. Ryan Kelly, the center and offensive tackle Bernard Raymond. Questionable. Third-string QB, Sam Ellinger with a right shoulder injury. Guard, Quentin Nelson with a toe. And D-tackle, DeForest Buckner with a groin slash back. Buckner and Nelson, two of the better players on this Colts team. Notably, Anthony Richardson will be back for this game. I kind of want to take the Colts because I've liked what I've said. Look, they just beat the Ravens. I don't know if they're a playoff team or anything, but I like what they saw from from Anthony Richardson earlier in the year. They played teams hard. They were competitive. The Rams did not look great last week. That being said, I'm going to take the Rams. Going from the Bengals to playing the Colts, is it's a big drop-off in terms of talent. You're on the other side. Quentin Nelson nicked up. DeForest Buckner nicked up. Might be a little harder for them in the trenches than they might expect. Give me the Rams. Why not? To win this one on the road. Turning my back on Anthony Richardson. I like that kid. I like the way he's been playing. I don't like that pick, but I'm going to stick with it. Speaking of games that are hard to pick, or rather picks that I don't know if I'll like, our next game is an AFC North showdown from Cleveland as they play host to the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens going to be without a couple of big names here. Wide receiver Rashad Bateman with a hamstring injury and Odell Beckham Jr. again with an ankle. Remember when they said it was nothing serious and now he's missed two games in a row? Uh, As well as linebacker David Ojabo with an ankle slash knee, linebacker Adafé Owe with an ankle, and corner Marlon Humphrey with a foot injury. Doubtful tackle Ronnie Stanley with a knee. Questionable running back Justice Hill, who's going to be in the backfield, trying to help pitch in for Nick Chubb with a foot injury. Center, Tyler Linderbaum with an ankle and two safeties. Kyle Hamilton with a back and Marcus Williams with a pec injury. Questionable for the Browns. You don't want to see this one if you're a Browns fan. Quarterback, Deshaun Watson with a right shoulder injury. This one's weird because with that mountain of injuries and considering, I mean, Cleveland hasn't been that bad, guys. You know, Cleveland sitting at two and one. They're coming off of a win, a dominant win, over the Tennessee Titans. They lose to Pittsburgh because of defense, defense, defense. They were dominant against the Bengals. This is probably a dumb pick, but I'm going to take Cleveland to win this one at home. If you're going to get the Ravens, get them now. They're beat up. Morale might be a little low after a tough loss. Give me Cleveland to make this AFC North complete chaos. Next, we've got a bit of a revenge game as Kirk Cuzzo and the Vikings head to Carolina to take on his former number one target, once upon a time, Adam Thielen and the Carolina Panthers in the second consecutive Vikings game that comes into the week with zero wins on the score sheet. Vikings going to be without safety. Lewis Sign with a hamstring injury. Questionable. Center Garrett Bradbury with a back. QB Jaron Hall with personal reasons. And linebacker Marcus Davenport with an ankle. Panthers going to be without free safety. Xavier Woods with a hammy. Questionable. Wide receiver Jonathan Mingo in the concussion protocol. Running back Miles Sanders with a groin injury. And linebacker Frankie Louvu with a hip. Got to take the Vikings in this one. Bryce Young coming off of an injury. May or may not have Miles Sanders. Got to go with Kirk Cuzzo, Putting one on the board. Finally. Next, we've got a matchup between, well, a few years ago, two of the best teams in the AFC. This year, they're trying to still notch their spot in the playoffs. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Tennessee to take on the Titans in a battle 1-2 and two AFC contenders. The Bengals are going to be without wide receiver Charlie Jones with a thumb injury and tight end Irv Smith Jr. with a hammy. Questionable linebacker Akeem Davis Gaither with a knee. Titans are going to be without wide receiver Traylon Burks with a knee injury, guard Peter Skoronsky with an abdominal injury, Linebacker Luke Gifford with a hammy, and corner Elijah Molden with a hammy as well. Questionable D-lineman Danico Autry with a groin, and Tayir Tart, also on the D-line, with a knee injury. Titans did not look good against the Browns. Um, The the Bengals haven't looked great all year. This is going to be a weird one. Give me the Bengals in what could be a blast from the past, sort of, you know, 30-28 kind of tense game, Uh, or could be like... 17-13. It's ugly and gritty. And it comes down to who throws the ball to the other team first. And I'm going to bet that it's going to be Ryan Tannehill. Next, we've got an NFC South showdown from the Caesars Superdome. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to New Orleans to take on the Saints in a battle of 2-1 and teams. The Bucs going to be without D-tackle Kalijah Cansey with a calf injury. Linebacker Savosa. Dennis with a hamstring injury. Sorry if I botched that one. Cervosa. Servocha, Let's go with Cervosa. Two corners also listed as out. Jamel Dean with an neck slash shoulder. And Derek Pitts with a hammy. Questionable, a third corner. Carlton Pitts with a toe injury. Saints going to be without their guard, starting guard, Cesar Ruiz, who's in the concussion protocol. Safety, Jordan Howden with a finger injury. And corner, Paul Sanadibo with a hammy. Questionable, tight end, Foster Moreau with an ankle. And quarterback, Derek Carr, notably with a right shoulder injury. I don't know. Tampa Bay coming in at 2-1, their only loss being to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Saints arguably should be 3-0. Lost their QB, lost some momentum, lost the game badly on the road to Green Bay in the fourth quarter. I'm operating under the assumption we're probably not going to see Carr in this one. However, we do have Jameis playing against his old team. Jameis versus Baker, battle of the high draft picks. Probably going to see the ball going to the other team a handful of times from both guys, potentially. Um, give me Jameis to get get a revenge game. He can rile up that team. We've seen it before. Give me Jameis to win this one at home. Next, keep it division rival-themed as the Miami Dolphins, fresh off of a 675-point victory. Head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Bills, just going to be without one, but it's a big one. Safety Jordan Poyer with a knee injury. The Dolphins, on the other hand, going to be without linebacker Jalen Phillips with an oblique injury. Oblique, excuse me. Uh, Questionable. A couple of notable names. Running back Salvin Ahmed with a groin. Offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a back ankle-slash-knee. Center Connor Williams with a groin injury. And safety Deshaun Elliott with an ankle-slash-groin as well. Both of these teams put the smackdown on who they were facing last week. Buffalo looked tremendous. We didn't even talk about it. They looked tremendous against the commanders. The commanders had nothing for, for them. Pretty much the bulk of the game. Um, And obviously the Dolphins put up, I've changed the number every time, they put up 70 points. Their backup running back ran for 200 yards. Like, that doesn't even make sense. How's that possible? Mike White came in and started dropping bombs. I mean, oh my goodness. Will it last? I don't know. However, the Dolphins and the Bills played some close games last year. And considering the high that Miami is riding right now, I'm actually going to take the Miami Dolphins to go on the road and win this one. Am I going to regret it? Possibly. I think Buffalo's really good. However, I mean, Miami's offense is clicking like an offense we haven't even seen. 70 points? Come on. I got to take the bait. I got to buy the hype a little bit. And take Miami to win this one on the road. Next, we have what is one of the most intriguing gambling games of the weekend. Denver, fresh off of a 400-point loss, opened as a favorite in their game at 1 p.m. at Chicago to take on the Bears. Broncos, going to be without D-lineman Mike Purcell with a rib injury, linebacker Frank Clark with a hip, and linebacker Josie Jewell with a hip as well. Questionable safety, Justin Simmons with a hip as well. The Bears, going to be without three DBs, Jalen Johnson with a hammy, Eddie Jackson with a foot, and Josh Blackwell with a hammy. Also, questionable running back Travis Homer with an ankle. I know I made fun of the Broncos for losing by a million. I know I made fun of their idea to just re-sign Russell Wilson and then without even him having played a game give him an extension and then go get Sean Payton out of retirement. Yeah, you know what? That being said I'm still going to take the Broncos to win this game. Um, they still scored points against Miami, which is something I guess. right? The The Bears have looked so bad. So bad. They're both in no man's land. They're both in a hopeless, what are we doing situation. That being said, I've still got the Broncos winning on the road. Division theme continues as we head to Lincoln Financial, where the Washington Commanders, fresh off of a blowout loss, will take on the Eagles, fresh off of a primetime win. Commanders going to be without running back Chris Rodriguez Jr., who has an illness, questionable safety Percy Butler with a foot injury. Eagles going to be without two, wide receiver Quez Watkins with a hammy, and safety Sidney Brown with a hammy. Also questionable, another safety, Justin Evans with a neck injury. Got to take Philly at home. I like Sam Howell. This would be a big win for him. This would be a huge win for him in terms of showing the franchise what they've got. I say that a lot, usually to say when I am saying that, I don't think it's going to happen. Give me the Eagles to win this one at home. Next, our final 105 kick. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Houston, Texas, to take on the Texans from Energy Stadium. Steelers going to be without their punter, Presley Harvin III, with a hamstring injury, as well as guard James Daniels with a groin. Texans going to be without two O-linemen, Josh Jones with a hand injury, and Laramie Tunsell with a knee, as well as linebacker Denzel Perriman with a hand-slash-wrist, and corner Tavier Thomas with a hand. Questionable, their center Michael Dieter with a chest injury. I too have liked what I've seen out of C.J. Stroud, I will admit. People have talked about it, it's accurate, it's fair. However, I've liked what I've seen out of Pittsburgh's defense quite a bit too. And I think Kenny Pickett's got a little bit more options in his offense. Give me Pittsburgh to win this one on the road. Next, our lone 405 kick AFC West showdown, the L.A. Chargers play host to the Vegas Raiders. Raiders going to be without linebacker Chris Bolton with a knee injury. Questionable for this one. Some big names. Quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who's in the concussion protocol. D-lineman Max Crosby, who's battling a knee injury. D-end Malcolm Kuntz, who's battling a groin injury. And in the secondary, Nate Hobbs with an ankle and Roderick Teamer with an Achilles. Chargers, on the other hand, are going to be without their center Corey Lindsley, who's battling an injury. He's actually been placed on IR with a non-emergent heart-related issue, which is... Uh, Alrighty, that's... That's quite the headline, if you ask me. Um, also going to be without Dean Leonard at corner with a hammy, and JT Woods at safety. Doubtful for this one, running back Austin Eckler with an ankle, and Derwin James with a hammy. Questionable, Joey Bosa with a hammy slash toe, and safety, Alohi Gilman with a heel. That's everybody. Everybody but Josh Jacobs is on that injury report, it feels like. I mean, Keenan Allen's not there. Sure, knock on wood if you're a Charger fan as well. But that is a lot of big names. I'm going to take the Chargers to win this one at home because I'm not sure who's going to play quarterback for the Raiders if it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, And their offense hasn't looked electric even with Garoppolo. Give me the Chargers to try and, you know, level the ship and improve to 2-2-2. Next, we head into our first of two in the 425 slate, and we head to the NFC West, specifically Santa Clara, California. The Cardinals, fresh off of a big win, head there to take on the undefeated Niners. Cardinals going to be without DN, Jonathan Ledbetter with a finger, and linebacker Josh Woods with an ankle. Questionable, running back Keontae Ingram with a neck, Hollywood Brown with a thumb, Paris Johnson Jr. on the O-line with an ankle, and linebacker Chris Barnes with a finger. Doubtful. Jawan Jennings at wide receiver with a shin, questionable. Running back Elijah Mitchell with a knee. Wide receiver Debo Samuel with a rib-slash-knee injury. And two linebackers, Demetrius Flanagan-Fowles and Dre Greenlaw, both with ankle injuries. I say all that to say this. You know there's no way I'm picking against the 49ers in this game. No matter what the Cardinals have shown me through the first three weeks, I think the Niners might be the best team in the NFL. Give me San Francisco to improve to 4-0. Next, we've got America's team versus, well, literally America's team. The New England Patriots head to Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys in our only other 425 kick. Patriots listing a handful as questionable. O-lineman Cole Strange with a knee, D-lineman Christian Barmore and Davin Godcho with a knee and ankle respectively, and two corners Jonathan Jones and Sean Wade with an ankle and a shoulder respectively. Cowboys going to be without offensive lineman Tyron Smith with a knee injury. Questionable, tight end Peyton Hendershot with an ankle. Guard Zach Martin with an ankle. And Tyler Biotish, their center, with a hammy. Usually, I would say, well, if it was a few years ago at least, it's not that hard for Bill Belichick to scheme something up and try and force some turnovers and make up for some maybe deficiencies his team might have. However, fresh off of a loss, I think Mike McCarthy's going to have his boys ready to go. Not to mention this game is in Dallas. Give me the Cowboys to win this one at home. Next, we move to Sunday night football. And the Kansas City Chiefs head to New Jersey to take on the Aaron rodgers list Jets. Another game where I'll read you the injury report and give you five seconds for the pick. Chiefs going to be without linebacker Nick Bolton with an ankle and corner Jalen Watson with a shoulder. Jets going to be without lineman Wes Schweitzer, offensive lineman that is in the concussion protocol, and safety Tony Adams with a hammy. Remember when we did 60-second picks? This is going to be another one of those. Um, 60-second pick of the week here, it's going to be the Chiefs. I can see Mahomes throwing the ball to the other team. I can see the Jets getting pressure on him, maybe forcing a fumble or something, getting a tipped interception. Unless the Jets' defense is going to score at least one touchdown, if not two, perhaps block a punt or block a field goal in there. It's hard for me to see Kansas City fresh off of thumping the Chicago Bears going out and laying an egg against the New York Jets. It is really a crying shame that Rodgers got hurt, obviously, for Jet fans, just period. But it would have been a fun one to potentially see, you know, new home Rodgers trying to put up a battle with Patrick Mahomes. How's that one going to go? Even more pressure on the Kansas City offense, you know? Well, give me the Chiefs to win this one on the road. Monday Night Football, keeping it New York-themed, and yes, they have been in prime time quite a bit. You don't have to complain to me. i As a New Yorker, I can complain with you. Uh, the New York Football Giants are going to play host to fellow surprising playoff team from last year, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Seahawks coming in at 2-1, and one, Giants at 1-2. and two. I'm going to take the Giants, and the reason I'm going to take the Giants is the New York Giants are in the midst of a rough patch in their schedule. They're sitting at 1-2. and two. If they lose this game, they will go to 1-3. and three. Then they have Miami and Buffalo back-to-back. It's not hard for most people to see them losing both of those games. If they lose here, they will be staring at 1-5. and five. Oh, by the way, they haven't played the Eagles yet. Oh, by the way, they have another one with Dallas. Oh, by the way, it's no guarantee that they beat the Commanders, and they have the Rams, Packers, and Saints who are going to be trying to sniff their way in to NFC playoff spots. They need to win this game. I said before it's hard to have a must-win in Week 4, and I gave one to the Vikings. You could make the argument this could be a must-win for the Giants. If they lose this game, they're going to have to beat either Miami in Miami or Buffalo in Buffalo. And I, as I sit and breathe right now, cannot see that happening. Therefore, in the former House of Horrors of Geno Smith as a not-so-good Jets quarterback, the Giants need to go out there and win. And for that reason, since they play for this Brian Dable, they play for their coach. You know what? Except when they play the Cowboys in Week 1, I guess. I'm going to take the Giants. Is it a homer pick? Probably. Is it wishful thinking? Perhaps. Either way, give me the Giants to beat Seattle at home. And next, you can't get off that quick. we got to pick Thursday night football. We've got the Chicago Bears. Oh, boy. Oh, joy. Heading to Washington, D.C. to take on the Commanders. I'm taking the Commanders. I'd be shocked if the Commanders didn't open as like a seven-point favorite in this game. Um, I could see Chicago winning this game, to be frank. The Commanders, are they have talent, but, I mean, they laid a massive goose egg against Buffalo. Maybe they could steal some stuff schematically that they saw there. Maybe they can exploit Justin Fields' athleticism like they haven't been able to do through the first three games, uh, probably four games. Give me the Commanders to win this one at home. And we've got another London game next week, by the way, just teasing it for you. Jacksonville is going to be playing as the road team versus the Buffalo Bills. Go figure. I believe that's a London game. It's a Europe game, I'll say tentatively. I'm not certain if it's Wembley Stadium or where. Either way, what I am certain of is that it's the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode, and that'll bring us to the end of episode number 171 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. It's a little bit of a supersized episode here this week as we push towards the 90 minute mark. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking around. If it's your first episode or somehow your 171st, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Join us again next weekend. We'll break down all the week four action, and we'll dive into some week five predictions, and who knows, maybe we'll have some more spicy headlines that I can rant about as we get there. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donotic, signing off.